I could talk about this for days, but I think schooling in America just just needs to take a look at itself sometimes. Um, yeah, it's really messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's really messed up. It's like a whole yeah. Legendary schools. So good. I like how Tariq wrote that uh-huh. jingle. Uh-huh. And he's like, I wrote that melody. <laughs> I wrote, that's my melody. <laughs> it's just California love. Well, we wrote that song and welcome it's to It's so catchy. It is. Oh, welcome, uh, welcome. Hi, welcome. Hi, yes, hello. we have we have a podcast to do. Let's do it. We have a podcast, and this is it. And hello, this is hi. this is all you get, folks. This is what. <laughs> listen, if you can't love us at our Wednesday at six, then you don't deserve us at our Friday at eight. No, Friday at eight, I am probably in pajamas. <laughs> uh huh. That's watching the... Gilmore Girls. Exactly. So. That's the best time. I mean, are you like <laughs> that's. But I, I actually am rewatching Gilmore Girls currently. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, it feels like a very. I guess we're talking about what we're watching now. Yeah, we, we can, can do that. Really, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it it's it's a very. I I think I usually do do at least a partial rewatch around like September ish. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because it's just a very fall kind of show. Yeah. Yeah. And um maybe it's a little know, comfortable. I, it's a little it is. Comfy. It's very yeah. comforting. And that's probably why I started it early this year cuz I was like I need something really comforting right now. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm doing I'm doing the Gilmore rewatch. Um I was also thinking about so, you know how last September we talked about Gilmore Girls. We did Gilmore Girls revisited. And I, uh, I expanded on my segment from our previous Gilmore discussion about um, Jane Austen influence in Gilmore Girls. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that again and thinking about expanding that even further than the expansion and maybe writing, writing something. The expansion, Suki. The expansion. The the expansion. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's partially motivating my my rewatch is that I want to write something about about that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I watched a couple new things though recently. Um. Yeah. So I watched the you the American ghosts. I've been wanting to watch that. Yeah, it's. I had watched the UK one, okay. like a couple years ago, and I think it's all on Max right now. I think it's still on there. Um, cool. And you know, like I really loved the UK one, and I was like, well, you know what happens when they like remake a UK sitcom in America? Sometimes you get The Office, uh-huh. or sometimes you get. You know, something completely forgettable that I, For sure. you know, can't even name. So I was like, eh, well, you know, but um, like the cast is great. So like okay. it's the <laughs> it's actually the the main actress is from A Christmas Prince. Like it's Amber from A Christmas Prince. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um so she, you know, like she's delightful. Good for Amber. Yeah, good for Amber. I guess that journalism paid off. That blog <laughs> she was doing. Oh, and you know what's funny is that her character on Ghosts is a freelance writer. <laughs> okay, if you Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> she just keeps playing writers. But yeah, it's fun and it also felt, you know, like a very autumnal show. Yeah. Uh because it, like it's very cozy. It, like it reminds me of like like Knives Out is like kind of the vibe because it's okay. in like this really old mansion. Okay. And like yeah, that 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 was the that was the vibe I was getting. Yeah. Um, awesome. 
But yeah, it was good. Like slightly, you know, of course, like slightly different sense of humor from the UK show. For because, sure. Because yeah. like that's, you know, American humor is, is a little different. But yeah, it was good. Good. I'm liking it. And, you know, who knows when when all the shows will be back. Uh, yeah. Could be a while. <laughs> and then I watched a movie that just came out on Netflix called Happiness for Beginners. Is that uh, the Ellie Kemper one? Yes. Okay. And it was super cute. I, I started loved it, it and fell asleep. Yeah. 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 yeah you should. Yeah. You should finish watching it. Like it was. It was like just like the perfect kind of like cozy rom com. It was like Aww. the feeling. Yeah. I really like whoever thought to cast Ellie Kemper in a rom com deserves all the accolades. Like, yeah. Why has she not done one before? <laughs> I was going to say, like, that's kind of what I thought when I saw the thumbnail for it. I was like, how has she not done this? How has she not? done this before (laughs) yeah and i like the beginning too i think she gets to be a little more serious than she's Mm -hmm. been in the past which is nice to see yeah Yeah. this character is really different from both kimmy schmidt (laughs) and and aaron from the office like Yeah. yeah like it's it is like a more like i don't yeah i hesitate to say a more serious character but she's definitely like a more kind of like a straightforward, driven character yeah. than than those other two like bigger roles that she's played. But yeah, like she did really great. Like even though the character is really different, like she's still believable. So really... you know, I think she's probably just like good at acting or something. I don't know. Oh, maybe, maybe that. <laughs> maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I really because like the show, the movie starts with her like going through some big life changes and deciding mm-hmm. to go um, for this major, uh, the major hike. Um, yeah. She's doing wild. <laughs> yeah, she's doing. And like, I really appreciated how she was playing burnout and how she was playing like that, just like exhaustion to your core when life has been yeah. weird for a little bit. I really like resonated with her portrayal of those feelings um, in the parts of it that I did see. It was nice. And it's apparently based on a book. So now, of course, I have to read the book. But Yeah, I think I've we'll see heard how that of- goes. I think yeah. I'm remembering like the the cover art for the book. Or mm, okay, it might have been like one of those like super popular for a little bit, um, kind of on everyone's top. Yeah, like 10 it was. List. It was on like the it was like the number six bestseller like a year ago. So now you sure. might be able to find it at Costco. Like that's the, <laughs> right because that's yeah. how that's how Costco books work, right? Yeah. It's like. The, you know, like the, the, the like number like six through 15 best sellers <laughs> from six months ago. That's what you find at Costco. And they love their like now a major Netflix production stickers yes. too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you been watching? There's something so com- well, the comforting first, to the The first people. 10 minutes of, of the Ellie Kemper movie, of the course. The first <laughs> 10 minutes of the Ellie Kemper movie. Um, I have also gone to my comfort watches. Mm. I, Rhonda, I watched an entire season of Grey's Anatomy. That's incredible. In I applaud hours. I, I applaud your commitment because that in forty eight hours. So you were spending like half of that forty eight hours watching Grey's Anatomy. I think it was over the weekend, <laughs> and I, I had a lot, and like. It was one of those moments where, like, you're no longer, it's no longer like a, oh, I'm going to check in on these characters. Maybe I'll watch a few episodes. It was like an emotional support marathon where I just mm-hmm. had it on for, like, a very yep. long time while I was doing some, like, onboarding and things for changes in my life. And so I just had it on as I was doing all of that kind of stressful new life stuff. And then I looked up and it was all of a sudden I was on season two. And I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness. That happens I... sometimes if you're watching a show on Hulu and you fall asleep and then like uh-huh. you wake up and it's on like season two of a show you've never even heard of before because it and just you... auto plays something. 
like, what, what is heck? happening? How did I get here? Um, oh, Hulu. We love you. <laughs> we love you. But please uh, pay your actors and writers. We're looking at all of you across the <laughs> yeah. board. <laughs> you got to pay these people. Come on. Yeah. I, it's funny. Have you ever watched Grey's Anatomy? I watched, I think, like, the first two seasons, like, regularly when it, like, as it was airing. Like, I was pretty into it. And then I think I might have watched some of season three, and then I just kind of lost interest. Sure. So I haven't seen anything past, like, mid-season three. (laughs) So I was gifted the pleasure of Grey's Anatomy Mm. over the pandemic um, by our good friend of the podcast, Nicole. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. And she had watched it when like, like growing up and had always been kind of part of her watching cycle. And so we watched it together during the global pandemic that occurred in all of our lives. And yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Um, A lot of people have. Um, Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are talking about it. Yeah, yeah where it's on yeah. it's on everyone's mm-hmm. minds. And so I really fell in love with it because of like our friendship too. So like mm-hmm. it's a comfort watch now for me even though I'm kind of newer to it. And like it's one of those shows for me where it's so campy and so ridiculous <laughs> one moment and then you're like crying the next and it's very like, Shonda. It, I like, freak it. that's what it is. I love it's Shonda. Shonda. Yeah. <laughs> I truly love her Because you get the same feeling with, like, Bridgerton. Right. Like, that's, yeah, like, it. they don't seem like they're that similar on a surface level, but, like, you watch it and you're like, yeah, these are both Shonda. These are so Shonda. (laughs) Yeah. She, as we said in one of our previous, um, when we did Bridgerton, she knows how to orchestrate excellent television. Yes. She's a master. At... She knows how to like, like configure characters yeah. for interesting conflicts. Yeah. And like, and like these kind of like big ensemble casts. For that sure. have really interesting dynamics. Yes, very Shonda. And sometimes, and she understands what, like we talked about too. I think she understands that good television shouldn't take itself seriously. Yes, good television is fun and keeps yes. you invested. <laughs> it does not need to be like whatever. I don't. Know, it doesn't <coughs> Game need of to Thrones. Be pretentious. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it doesn't need to be pretentious. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> When you're exhausted, you just want to have joy and fun and cath- emotional catharsis. And anyway, so I've been watching a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of Grey's Anatomy. Still getting through Succession. Mm. Uh, and then just so many. Succession. Succession. That's the, um, that's, if I was going to rewrite, I mean, Succession has one of the most iconic main themes mm-hmm. but if i was going to rewrite the main theme this is what i would do succession that's it that's the whole thing that's that's it that's it succession i i think you, i think you should pitch that to the, even though the show's over I, I even though it's over i'll be like them. hey can we retroactively change the, the theme of succession. We got to the episode of Kendall's birthday party. <laughs> I think no one should have, we should stop how we celebrate birthdays and everyone has to have a Kendall birthday. When he's, oh my gosh. When he's practicing for his performance, I was losing my mind. I was, and then he's like, no, that's stupid. I don't want to do this anymore. Is that the one where he wears, like, the big gold chain? Is that the same one that I'm thinking of? Yes, ma'am. Okay. (laughs) Iconic. He has a a tree house in there. He is the moment. (laughs) It's. He is a girl boss. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And then cousin Greg is trying to date people. Anyway, it's just. (laughs) I am fully obsessed. Talk about characters I'm obsessed with. But yeah, that's what I've been watching. And then just a lot of uh, teacher vlogs. Okay, we'll what if what if Shonda did Succession? I would lose my mind. I would never leave my home again. 
You know what? Shonda could do Succession, but whoever did Succession could not do Grey's Anatomy. For sure. I stand by that. (laughs) Because I do think there's an element of Succession likes to be taken seriously, even though it is like a satire and even though it is poking fun, I think it does take itself seriously. And it's it takes kind- itself seriously, but it does not take its characters seriously. That is yeah. what is the hill that I will die on. And like so, it does, it wants us to make fun of the characters, but not success like the show, but not itself. Yeah. Whereas Shonda Rhimes wants you to have fun. Yes. And that's <laughs> the show that's is the having fun. Yeah. 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 I get it. Who did make Succession? I know we've talked about this before. <laughs> oh, I'm blanking on their <laughs> Like, names. we quoted his interview sure about, about Kendall. Yeah, anyway, it's fine. It's some white guy. It's fine. <laughs> and you know what? With that said, I think it's okay to expect people to take your show seriously. Like I, But I also think it's okay not to. Yeah. I think those are just two different decisions that come, that are are obvious and can be felt by your audience. So, you know, either way is fine, but they just create different results. Uh Yeah. We got very philosophical there. We sure did. I love that. As we talk about, you know, Grey's Anatomy, we're not talking about Grey's Anatomy, we're talking about Avid. Maybe we will one day. You know, I think we might have to. Um, I will have to rewatch it, at least some of it. I'm not going to watch all of it. You it's like 20 seasons. I'm not watching America's all of it. America's long COVID. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> the episode title. <laughs> America's long COVID. Gosh. Okay. Um, we were we were talking about something. Yeah. Um. So. Long COVID is no joke, though. Like. Long COVID is not funny. The f- distinction there long COVID is not funny it is funny to me imagining Meredith like going through the motions of like I don't even know I just feel like that would be like it just it's almost like Shonda knows it's almost like Walker told me I have AIDS do you you know that that clip the Haley Joel Osment clip no where he he was on Walker Texas Ranger and When he was like a little tyke, and <laughs> it's just like the one clip that's been memefied where he's like, "Walker told me I have AIDS." <laughs> like, wow! Oh, TV. Um, so, <laughs> so to kind of recap last week, we really open. It was our opener of our sixth mm. season, indeed, and we were talking a little bit about. What's happening with the strikes with um, mm-hmm. SAG and WGA and how we see themes that are present in this strike, like connecting to themes we see on Abbott Elementary and the ways that the um, the actors and creative team are speaking up and speaking out um, for the rights of actors and writers. And we're still very much waiting to see what's going to happen with everything. Yeah. And and we felt it was really important to start this season there because all of the things that we love so much are only possible because of um, actors and writers yep. and creatives. Yeah. And not, not, notably, not AI. Not AI and not, um, like, execs of production companies because... They're the they're the money people and the business people and like yes they, you know make productions possible but we don't need a well funded production as much as we need a uh, good production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and just yeah. thinking about yeah, just for me, it's just all that we owe to those people who are then cut out of the profits and kind of threatened. Threat and- level midnight. Exactly. We wouldn't have Threat Level Midnight without creators. Writers. Did you know that Steve Carell wrote Casino Night? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that episode. That's so good. (laughs) So we just really wanted to start there. And that's what we did last week. That is what we did. 
And then this week, we're kind of thinking about some real world themes that are in Abbott um, and kind of like the real life of a teacher and Mm -hmm. first year teacher experiences. And yeah, and like how we talk about like how media portrays teachers and their experiences and then also just how we talk about public education in general and how Abbott kind of fits into that discourse. As a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. And, And you know, like, there's a lot of things that it definitely is, you know, gets, like, authentically. I have, I'll talk a little bit about, like, real teachers commenting on, you know, the the authenticity of the show. But then there are a few things that, you know, because it is a sitcom, it kind of has to simplify and might kind of dilute a little bit when it comes to, like, some education issues. So, like, we'll talk about those a little bit, too. (laughs) Yeah. So to start us off, I was really partially because of when I was watching and when the show came out, um, thinking about how we talk about the first year of teaching specifically. Mm -hmm. And really this idea of, like, catharsis of shared experience. So as we planned for Abbott Elementary and this kind of um, series for, for Pop DNA, I was thinking about why is this show so important to me as an educator? And I think it's that catharsis of a shared experience. It's nice to see something that I've struggled through portrayed on the television. It's mm-hmm. nice to see, to feel connected to other educators, to feel seen heard and you know understood by a television show it's i think i mentioned last week but i've watched this show at 4 (laughs) a.m on a day when i had to go get up in an hour and go face a difficult day or make something happen for my kids or you know just feeling kind of like my hand was held there or you know what i've even like in those moments i have even like cried as catharsis Mm -hmm. or like whatever it was so that's just um a little personal blurb but it also (laughs) like there's a few elements of your first year of teaching that I see in so I paired like moments of your first year with moments from the show where they show it pretty well and granted Janine and Jacob are in their second year of teaching yes yeah but I mean, we'll fudge the numbers. It's okay. Yeah. Well, but they talk, like, in the pilot, though, they talk about how, like, um, like I think Janine says that, like, it, they started out with, like, a much larger cohort of first-year teachers. Yeah. And she and Jacob are the only ones left. Yeah. Which I, I'm sure you'll get into this, but I feel like that's probably a very, like, authentic experience. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really, really yeah (laughs) yeah um and i think the first big piece i see here that that kind of informs everything else for me is the theory that you learn in a classroom on how to be a teacher versus the practice of being a teacher yes and i think (laughs) we see we see that across the board but one one place that i'm realizing i didn't even jot here in my notes i think of when gregory is writing across his classroom ever like he's planning for the year he's found Uh out that he's a teacher now and there's this great moment throughout the there are moments throughout that episode where he is planning out every single minute of his day (laughs) in conjunction with the year at a glance, the everything he has to teach that year. Uh And I remember in teaching in my master's program, we would do two and three page lesson plans um, to get the theory of it. And so he's trying to do that with every single beat of every subject of the school year. (laughs) And and you get to see his whole classroom just like covered in post-it notes. Uh And he's just trying, he's floundering. He's like, he says to Barbara, how are we ever supposed to do this? Yeah. And Barbara says that that's not the job. The Uh job is not this level of lesson planning. The job is not 
approaching it like this. The job is finding a way that works for you, basically. Finding a way, like, yes, you will cover all of this content, but also, like, you can't do this kind of groundwork, or it's just, like, not going to work for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought that was a really sweet <laughs> moment where he, I think that's a, a moment a lot of first year teachers can relate with is just the look of panic and not mm. ever feeling like you could possibly do the job well, because, especially with younger grades, because they're learning yeah. the whole world. Yep. And so... Like, I how are you supposed to teach them how to, like, focus on reading when they, like, don't know what, like, pencils are? Like... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's extreme, but like, you know, that's, yeah. Maybe, they like, maybe know. they've never seen this many books all in one place before, and you're supposed yeah. to teach them how to read. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and people forget to teach them how to use a book, to teach them how uh -huh. to use the classroom, to teach them how to walk, like, through the hallways, things like that. And I just, I really appreciate that struggle being highlighted because that's a disconnect between the theory of classroom and what a classroom actually should look sound and feel like mm -hmm. it's also just such a sweet moment where we we just see barbara as such a leader in her class in her mm -hmm. school and she even though she might kind of sometimes ask for her space or like yeah. say i'm not like i don't need to put my energy to that always um she does wind up i think a lot of times giving more of herself more and more and more of herself in a way that's very true to being a teacher <laughs> and so the next piece is also with gregory is the staffing cha uh, changes when we see <laughs> gregory has gone through this might just be a love letter to gregory because oh my goodness <laughs> i love him. i think like out of all the i mean like all of the characters are great but i think he has like the strongest growth arc of any of the characters yeah like I mean, even, like, Janine definitely has, like, a growth arc, but I think that Gregory's is more extreme than yeah. hers because he starts out, like, he's just very reluctantly taken on this sub-position because he, you know, didn't get the, the principal position yeah. that he wanted until, like, by the end of season two, he is fully embracing that yeah. teaching this group of first graders or second graders or whatever whatever grade it is like that that is that is you know what he's fully embraced now yeah so yeah like it's he definitely has like the most dramatic yeah. character arc so far at least we'll see <laughs> if anyone else definitely. grows <laughs> and i think for his personal the therapist in me too sees his personal like comfort level with him in the world kind of grows like mm -hmm. we meet we meet a Gregory who's very this is how I expect my day to go and this is my comfort zone and this is what I am comfortable with and anything outside of this I am not comfortable with mm -hmm. it and then the joy of working in a school sometimes is that you can't have that rigidity. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I might know from experience as someone who uh, kind of feels that same way as Gregory. And there's just no space for that, that schedule because the kids don't care. Nope. The kids are like, I mean, they care. They don't know what a schedule for you, is. But like, they don't care about the schedule. They just want to talk about Bluey. Yeah. Let like, them talk about Bluey. <laughs> And then he does. He lets he like lets Bluey into the classroom a little bit for the one yeah. kid. Yeah. Yeah. I just Aww. watched that episode. So <laughs> I freaking love him. Um Yeah. <laughs> that's the but that really thanks for the the segue there cuz that really does lead me into like the catharsis of the moment in education in public education uh, a few years ago and still continuing to this day when the teacher shortage started mm. and when like people who like Gregory had trained to be administrators mm -hmm. 
were suddenly being asked um, to go and teach because we weren't fielding a team or you might be asked to go sub one day a week if you're an administrator or if you're so then if you're a candidate who like Gregory has um, education surrounding like school administration, you might only be able to get like a teaching job. Um, mm-hmm. And that might feel really frustrating to you um, as but you'll still do it for your scholars and your students. And I think that plays out so well with Gregory. Um, but then we get the added humor of of miss ava over there (laughs) who gets the job and it just like watching gregory kind of mitigate that and Mm -hmm. seeing and then also uh, finding out that ava has her position because of who she knows yeah and what she knows that that person has done (laughs) yeah so like you know she's really like of course you know like of course she had to you know go through the education to get you know whatever qualifications she has to be yeah. an administrator so For like sure. that's not to say that she's not qualified yeah you know, at least on paper for this job that she's in but like there was definitely like some unfair uh, yeah. practice in her being hired for that job so <laughs> yeah and I yeah. think I think there's also some big heartedness there too, because we kind of see Ava is a high comedy character. She's yes. very, very. She's almost cartoonish. For like, sure. Yeah. And I, but I think as the seasons progress, we see her grow and change and we mm-hmm. see more of her heart as well. Yeah. And maybe she's the person who was burnt out. And just kind of coasting at work a little bit um, after having received her um, her credentials and things. And then Abbott kind of brings her back to herself and what she mm. cares about. Um, yeah. Without taking away. And that's such masterful writing. Without taking away from this high comedic character. Yeah. You still also see this person like reunite with with her reasoning for being an educator and Mm -hmm. doing the work that she does and she starts to be resourceful for the children instead of like (laughs) kind of selfishly um i think ava's my favorite of all yeah she's Um, definitely my favorite character (laughs) i freaking love her and then we get to resource allocation which Mm. is really really well done in this show um, <laughs> there's a few episodes that i'm thinking of specifically here um there's ava and the fiscal decision making so these kind of chart where she's st- kind of similar to what i was just talking about chart where she starts versus where she goes um as a character so the first one is when um, Ava has to, in like, I think the first or second episode when Ava has to make a decision about how to spend a certain amount of funds. And Janine has asked for the rug, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and some other classroom supplies. And she spends it on, I think, a big sign yep. for the school. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's on the um, pilot. It's, it is the pilot. Okay. Yeah. And so I don't want to say that it's commonplace for administrators to make those kinds of mistakes. Cause that hasn't been right. my, right. Um, Obviously my this is an exaggeration, but, but, I, but yeah. I do think that it does a really nice job of looking at um, the way we talk about funding and education mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what happens in moment, what can happen in moments in moving from this is the money allocated for this thing to like the classroom actually gets it and Mm -hmm. actually like receives the resources from the funding that it technically received. And I think in my experience, I've been really lucky with that, but there have been horror stories where, Mm -hmm. you know, classrooms don't get the things that they need Uh um, from those funds that were supposed to be for them. And I think it's a funny light look at a very, a more, a more real problem. Mm -hmm. 
and kind of a, a problem that we're all seeing that's felt by parents, that's felt like yes. by kids, that's felt yeah. by teachers. Yeah, because I think we talk about schools being underfunded and often that is the case that they are underfunded. But I think what's also the case is that the funds that they get are often mismanaged. Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. not in the extreme way that Ava does, but there is like, yeah, some yeah. some mismanagement going on. In addition to, you know, schools actually needing more funding, which they definitely do. So Yeah. And sometimes there are times when that funding, like, that funding can be first to go as well. Like, oh, mm-hmm. that school just doesn't get that anymore. And so I just thought that was a nice way also to timestamp Ava in the pilot. And then we see her. I think this is such a sweet episode, Ava and the board, where she has to kind mm-hmm. of be taught how to to present the fiscal report. Yeah. And she's... <laughs> She's not. This is where Gregory shines. <laughs> yeah, and Ava like comes in kind of with like the sparkle and with the like charm, but it's really just her masking the fact that this is an area of weakness for her, and she mm. feels pretty like I think daunted by this task. So then Gregory um, and Janine have to come in and help her to present the fiscal report to the board. And I just, it's one of the first times I think that you see Ava like admitting that she might need some help sometimes. Mm, and yeah, <laughs> we see kind of her humanity there. Um, yeah. It's also one of the, like one of the first glimpses we get that she does actually care yeah. about the school. Cause like she definitely projects this this image of like not caring yeah but she at least at least starting at this moment she really does care absolutely yeah i think you just fall in love with her in this moment and it also it does reflect kind of what can happen if your board isn't strong or if Mm -hmm. there's some like personal I'm not saying like again not to this degree maybe that happens here where Ava knows something about the board member and it's just like (laughs) I'm not saying that that's happening in every school but I do think again sometimes there's mismanagement there and sometimes there's Mm -hmm. um, selfishness political like politics of the school district kind of thing yeah. yeah, and sometimes it's just, I could talk about this for days, but I think schooling <laughs> in America just just needs to take a look at itself sometimes. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's but, really messed up. <laughs> yeah. um, it's really it, messed up. Yeah. It's like a whole, and like, it's kind of this unfair spot too, because even people who have the power like to change it, get told no and get given more yeah. and more and more red tape and I can think of colleagues of mine who are fighting every day to get scholars what they need and just getting met with more and more roadblocks and it's yeah. just it's a long haul you gotta really believe in the kids that you teach to teach yeah. in, in public school I think like, yeah at the end of the day, that's got to be what's driving you. Or you are just going to, you know, like so many teachers that quit before five years. Yeah. And I can't like social media is becoming an outlet for those struggles and is helping teachers to unite with one another. But it just it's so interesting to get a show like Abbott Elementary where we do get a larger discourse on public education and we do get to kind of think about it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear like what those like you, you listed a few like social media um, creators who are also educators like I'd be interested yeah. to hear what they think of Abbott Elementary. I don't know if any of them have ever talked about it. Yeah, I, I that would be, you know, and they're all pretty like ask me anything. Um, One thing, one kind of through line for all of them is they have all... Uh, had to step away from a, a teaching job and it's broken their heart, but they've mm-hmm. had to do it because it was toxic. Mm-hmm. And so 
And that narrative is really important for teachers like I was a year ago where your situation is toxic and you do need the strength to leave. Um, and mm-hmm. so just sharing that narrative. But yeah, I, I will even check if any of them have like said anything about Abbott specifically because that would be interesting. Yeah. I'm always interested to hear like any, you know, any, any like pop culture work that is like depicting you know, a real profession or a real, like, group or issue and, like, how people who, you know, are are experts in that field, like, what they think of it. Um, I, so I found, uh, this is really fun, a Seattle (laughs) Times article. Seattle Times, shout out. Go Seattle. Uh, Yeah, Seattle. Um, So this, they, um, (laughs) they compiled, like, a few like testimonials from real teachers in the Seattle area talking about their thoughts on Abbott Elementary. So I thought this would be cool. Do you want to uh, read one of these? Yeah. For our listeners? Um, I can do the first one. And then if you want to do the second one, and then I'll do the third one. Cool. I love that. I'm like assigning reading like a teacher. I love, I mean, part of the reason you become a teacher is because you like to read things aloud. So yes. Yeah. And you like <laughs> to tell other people what to read aloud. That's my, <laughs> that's my dream. <laughs> yeah. So these are, <laughs> so this first one is from Allie Holler, a first grade teacher in Sammamish, Washington, which is near Seattle for those listeners not in the know. So she said, my general initial impression of Abbott Elementary was that finally here was a show that teachers could just laugh at because we live those things every day. It is a representation of our lives. The things they get right are just the chaos of the day to day. (laughs) All the planning that everyone is doing and the social interactions throughout the school with your colleagues. Some things that they get wrong is obviously they did not fully include all the components of being in a school like special education. There are so many pullouts that happen and kids just going coming and going out of your classroom that they didn't really showcase. That was, I mean, obviously, as a special educator, that's also uh-huh. something I've seen in the show. Like, I wish there was more. I, I can that. see how that would be really tough production wise. For sure. Like trying to cast young actors who are special needs could be really, you know, that could be really tough. So, like, I can kind of see how, you know, because there are, like, a lot of other ways that they've simplified their depiction yeah. of a school. So, yeah. But, yeah, I do also think that, you know, they they could they could at least talk about it more, even if they don't, you know, depict it. Yeah, absolutely. The second, Liz Ruiz Piana, a consulting and K-8 teacher in Seattle Public. I was a little skeptical about the show, of course, and thought maybe this will be funny, (laughs) but I was really impressed. Right out the gate, I think Abbott Elementary gets the tone of what it's like and the feeling of what it's like to be a teacher pretty right. I definitely feel (laughs) seen. There are some episodes that it's really hard for me to get through without crying or tearing Mm. up at least because I've been in that situation. Yeah. I think that really encapsulates it. Like there is some skepticism, I think, when you see a show like that, because teachers have gotten a lot of flack in the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes it's like, oh, are we going to be the butt of the joke or are we going to be like or the face of the joke? <laughs> As Michael Scott would say. Yes, exactly. But I really, I also appreciate how she highlights feeling seen and kind Mm -hmm. of using it as like a catharsis to cry or to kind of go through your emotions about the work you're doing. That's awesome. Yeah. And then this last one, there were more in the article, which we'll link. Um, I just pulled up the three, the three that I, that I thought kind of spoke to me the most. Um, so this last one is from Selena Ryan, a K through five teacher at John Muir Elementary in Kirkland, Washington. And she said, all of the teachers I've interacted with remind me of Janine. They're here for students. You do what it takes and think about the rest later. 
the moments where she was looking in the classroom and seeing her students sleeping on the rug and why getting a new rug was so important for her. I've definitely been there. Yeah. 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 Like, I think there's a reason why that moment was so, like, for for both you and me personally, why that moment, yeah. like, that storyline with getting the new rug, like, hit home so much. Because that, like, little moment encapsulates what that experience is like, not just for teachers, but for so many children. For where, sure. Where their school, where their their teacher is the only stable and comforting thing they have yeah. in their lives. So, yeah. yeah, like, I thought that just really hit home for sure. And I just, yeah, yeah like, <laughs> it really matters. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, I do have a lot about charter schools because – you know, like, that's a big part of the storyline in season two. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that charter schools have kind of become, like, a hot-button issue, even, like, yeah. politically. Like, it's kind of a, like, I think, like, you know, both major U.S. political parties have, like, you know, like, they're like, oh, we're strong in education. And so they talk about charter schools as, like, you know. It's, yeah. it's it's like a sexy thing to talk about, right? Like, For sure. <laughs> and I think that, you know, Abbott Elementary doing this whole storyline on, on like this charter school that moves into their neighborhood, I think that it's like really good that they're kind of highlighting this discussion that, that you know, is happening and what charter schools actually mean for for the children who go to them and for the children who don't go to them. But I think that, the discussion and the issues around charter schools are a little more nuanced than the show portrays. For sure. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, they're not, you know, it's not completely wrong, but, you know, I just wanted to, like, delve into that a little bit. Yeah. And I know probably, like, not everyone is as fascinated with this as I am, so I'll try to... (laughs) No, I'll try to keep it... Absolutely. And I, I think it is. I know you, Aaron, are interested in charter schools and have opinions, but I don't know about all our listeners. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All our three listeners who are, um, are hearing this. Um, um, <laughs> yeah. So like looking at Abbott's portrayal of like it's this particular charter school in the show. So it's Addington Elementary and like the the name similarity i'm sure is not only intentional from like the standpoint of writing the show but from the um the founder of the charter school i'm sure that they intentionally chose a name that was similar to abbott right yeah, yeah. like you can see that so um in the episode where they go to visit the charter school and they're just like completely wowed by you know how clean it is how it doesn't have asbestos like, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, when they get back to Abbott and Janine decides that she wants to paint her classroom, this is, like, one of my favorite jokes in the entire show. So Ava comes in and she's like, no, you can't just paint your classroom. You can't just do that. Like, you have to, you know, go through this approval process. Um, and she, so she says, um, public school decor is the purview of, quote, the Philadelphia Department of Education, Animal Shelters, and Traffic. Oh, no. Just like, yeah. So, like, at the very least, Abbott Elementary, the show, is also showing that, you know, the the traditional public school system is not, is far from ideal as well, right? Like, it's, there's there's problems all around. Yeah. (laughs) So, there was this great New Yorker article that, like, really delved into um, charter schools in Fidel- in Philadelphia bleh, in Philadelphia like infidelity yes. in Philadelphia in particular but because you know like in the context of how Abbott Elementary portrays it so yeah um, right so it gives this like very brief history um, the first charter schools in Philadelphia opened in 1997. 
Um, By 2019, more than a third of all students in publicly funded schools in Philadelphia were enrolled in charters. This growth is in spite of research showing that many charter schools perform about as well as or worse than the public schools that they drain Mm. of, of funding and resources. Of the nearly $700 million in new funding that the Philadelphia School District received between 2015 and 2020, more than half went to charter schools, even though, you know, like I just said, like a third of students go to charter schools, but charter schools get half of the funding. Wow. So, you know, of course, this is like... This is like exposing some flaws in this in the education system and in how funding yeah. is allocated, of course. And then, uh, you know, it, it the article in the New Yorker kind of goes into like the politics and like education policy um, side yeah. of charter schools and how like there's you know really famous advocates for charter schools like Bill Gates and like. Yeah. Betsy DeVos. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then it, you know, it kind of mentions that, like, when Ava kind of has her, she kind of flips her position on the charter school when she sees that um, a student, you know, who had gone to the charter school was then, like, sent back to Abbott. He was kicked out of the charter school. And in the show, the reason that's given is because his education performance was yeah. too low. Yeah. But if you fact check that, charter schools are legally not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's at least one point in Abbott Elementary where like they're they're oversimplifying and they're it's it's a little inaccurate. And that's I think why it's so helpful. To have this as a public discourse in a Mm -hmm. show that we're all watching. Because I do think that, like, on the one hand, if people are feeling like that's what's happening, Mm -hmm. I can almost guarantee that that has happened in charter schools before. Right. Yeah. Because they're so independently run i can see where in the wrong hands that could certainly happen because better test scores it it all hits at the fact that better test scores gets you more money and right so i think so maybe like what they you know like they couldn't they could not directly state that they were expelling a student because of academic performance they would have to come up with some kind of documented behavioral pattern Right. And it, it really, and they could fudge that. <laughs> it does also hit just at the fact that that is how fiscal decisions can get made in mm-hmm. across public and private and a bunch of schools is that the test scores drive the funding. And I think that is the real villain of the debate is just yes, how the test scores are allocated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little bit further down in this New Yorker article, um, it, it talks about how, like we were kind of just talking about, like Abbott Elementary isn't, you know, isn't shy about showing that there are issues in public schools, not mm-hmm. just in, you know, like the administration, but also in the funding and in the infrastructure, like the physical buildings of the schools yeah. um, a lot of times have issues. And it definitely shows that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but as this article says, like, it also, sh- like, uh, this is a quote from the article, um, it dismantles the benevolent narrative of, quote unquote, escape promulgated by charter school advocates. The notion that a public school system cannot be rallied around and improved, only bled out and abandoned. Hmm. Abbott grabs this idea around the neck in a conversation between Jacob, who teaches at Abbott Elementary, and Summer, the teacher from Addington, who he talks to at the at the education conference. Yeah. And she tries to recruit him to come to Addington. And she says, with the brightest kids from the neighborhood, the cream of the crop from all over the city, we're all about focusing on the kids who have the best chance of making it out. And then Jacob says, out of what? Hmm. And there's, like, no answer given. So I think that it definitely, like, that 
aspect of the charter school. You know, the whole debate around charter schools about like if they're really better and they can help kids with opportunities, like what what does it say about the kids who don't get a chance to yeah. have those same opportunities because they couldn't go to that same charter school? So yeah, like it's yeah, it's very it's very complicated. It's nuanced, right? Like it's it's super nuanced. Yeah. So uh, there was this last the this last segment of the New Yorker article that I wanted to highlight. So it says, in 2019, the Education Law Center found that Philadelphia's district schools enrolled about five times as many students with intellectual disabilities as charter schools in Philadelphia. They also enrolled twice as many autistic children, three times as many English language learners, and students experiencing homelessness. So charter schools, for whatever good that they do for the students who go to them, they're also maybe inadvertently, but they are also perpetuating inequalities mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. The New Yorker article also cites the the John Oliver, <laughs> um, the, yeah. This, yeah. this Week Tonight with John Oliver episode on charter schools, which we'll link that. It's great. But I also wanted to mention, we were talking about this a little bit off the mics, um, there's a documentary called The Lottery. Yeah. Which is from... 2010 I think and it's definitely like more you know its viewpoint is more in favor of charter schools but it follows I think it's four or five different families in the New York City public school system who are who put their names in the lottery for charter schools because that is like you know like they're legally charter schools are not allowed to have like a, a selection process right Absolutely. um they have yeah. to do you know a blind lottery basically if they're you know if there aren't enough spots for the, all the applicants they have to do like yeah. a lottery so to make it you know so that everyone has an equal opportunity basically there's a few different like types of charter that kind of like do things a little differently so there's there's ones that where things like that are in place and there are some that kind of keep people out and then Mm. there are also ones which kind of put flyers up all over the neighborhood and like welcome as many as could possibly fit in the building and i think there's just differences in approach there yeah um and it might because they're all you know they're all like founded and run by individual people who Absolutely. have their own ideas about what you know a, a school should be yeah and so you get kind of like this disparity of yes. like either like the person the person's a janine uh-huh. <laughs> or the person's an ava <laughs> yeah it's or the or the charter school guy from abbott elementary right <laughs> Exactly. And it's like, it's just so interesting, because I think at the crux of everything is that we need to be really discerning about what is happening to our students. Mm -hmm. And it's why it's so important for podcasts like us to be talking about these (laughs) things, because we have to be informed so that these things, so that you don't get a Betsy DeVos, so that right. you don't get like, like a yeah. Story. Let's appoint an education secretary who has never worked oh in gosh. education. Perfect. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, it's just oh my gosh. Anyway, I didn't mean yeah. to derail. I just no, yeah. no, no. It's fine. But I did want to like I did want to talk about this documentary, The Lottery, because. It definitely has a point of view, and that point of view is kind of pro-charter school. Yeah. But it does also present the other side. And I think especially there's one part where there's a public hearing um, for this charter school that wants to move into a building that is occupied by a traditional public school in mm. New York City. And so at this hearing, we we get to hear from parents who are on both sides of this debate for and against the charter school. But there is like one particular parent testimonial that 
like I just rewatched this today and this was like so moving to me. This is this is from, you know, 13 years ago, but <laughs> but I was like, you know, this I think could really shift somebody's perspective. So it was this father who's talking about how he has an 8-year-old child who is in a traditional public school and he has a 5-year-old who is in a charter school and he's he's talking about how his 5-year-old often helps the eight-year-old with their homework. Wow. Obviously, like, we don't know the full situation. Like, maybe there's, you know, some kind of learning disabilities for the eight-year-old. We, Yeah, we don't know. But, like, what he says, so he said, I don't understand what's the big difference about the charter school, but I know it's helping her. It's yeah. making her a better person today. And it's also helping me, too, because I didn't get a chance to finish school. I'm happy. I'm proud that somebody cares. Y'all should feel the same way. Forget your egos. Put it to the side. Forget about you. Look at your children. They want to become doctors. They want to become maybe the next president. And then it kind of fades out. But wow. I was like, I'm like tearing up right now, even like, oh, my gosh, like, yeah. <laughs> that's so... It's, yeah, it's clearly not a, a black and white issue the way that the show paints it. I think that's such, that's the indicator there is, did whoever founded the charter school do so for their ego to make mm-hmm. money to, this is a business venture, or did the person go in for the kids? It's just, yeah. and like, that's something we see that's another reason we have to be so careful about where we're giving our, like what situations we're putting our children Mm -hmm. into. And, you know, I think like if I'm trying, if I'm trying to come to like as balanced a conclusion as I can, (laughs) if I'm deciding my own opinion on charter schools, right. I think that if you're looking at it on an individual level, like, yes, for some for well for a lot of kids charter schools have given them opportunities that they would not otherwise have had but then there's also like if you watch the John Oliver segment he like highlights a lot of charter schools that are very mismanaged that are not good for the students that are in them and that also you know grossly misuse the funding that they're that they're getting from the public school education fund sure and so like if you're looking at it on an individual basis like it is very nuanced and it really depends on the school and it depends on the student but i think if you look at it more holistically like on a systemic level it's really not that charter schools are the problem it's that the way that funding is allocated yeah. for schools, that is what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a bigger issue than just, like, the school yeah. itself. <laughs> I, I, I so agree with that. I think the more I look at it, the more, like, I'm never going to disagree with an educator who gets up, you know, like works at a charter school or works at a public school if you're showing up every day for the kids you know it's just where's Mm -hmm. your intention where and then and then like you said you know the way that we fund education Mm -hmm. is doing the dis is creating the disparity and is doing the disservice to our kids and Um, i think just like kind of more more intangibly than how it's funded is just how the public perceives education. And that's something that all the legislation in the world might never change that. (laughs) So yeah, that's a, that's a big factor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing. The one point that I can get 100% behind is that Abbott elementary is fiction and it is entertainment. (laughs) Yeah. And we should not be getting the full scope of our understanding and perspective on this important public policy issue from a sitcom. (laughs) So I completely agree with that. Well, now I feel like I should have a PhD in school policy. Heck yeah. After all that research I did. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. That would actually be really fascinating to study. (laughs) 
absolutely and like especially like public policy surrounding education that's what i'm like yeah interested in yeah and as an educator i just i really appreciate you bringing this conversation today because i think (laughs) it really matters and yeah yeah and i think it is something that especially you know like i said like the the buzzword charter school mm-hmm. right like that's such a like hot topic in like political debates i think so i think that there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of like incomplete perspectives that people might have and so like just do your research when you know yeah do your research when you're when you're choosing where to send your kids and do your research when you're voting on and the people who yeah. make those policies. And consider what might be being hidden from view when when buzzwords are thrown around. Yes. Like, Absolutely. A buzzword is going to get people distracted. A uh-huh. buzzword isn't going to get people thinking critically. Yeah. So. One more thing. I didn't add it into our notes, but just today I listened to a podcast episode. So the podcast is called Detention with Dr. Nadia Lopez. And I've she, heard of this. Yeah. She also has a TED Talk that's really good. So I listened to this episode that she put out back in March that was like specifically about like the Abbott Elementary storyline. And so like she's worked in both charter schools and traditional public schools. And so she, you know, has has like a really holistic perspective that was really good to, yeah. to listen to. So I will link that and everybody go cool. listen to that if you want to yeah. hear more. And she's like really cool too. Like she opened a public school in New York. Wow. Like, and it wasn't a charter school. Like, it's like a traditional public school. Yeah, like, she's incredible. Wow. She's so cool. All right, now I'm done. <laughs> okay, now it's okay. time to say goodbye. Take care of yourself. Do something nice for someone who is yourself and then also isn't yourself. I'm myself and not myself, so. Yeah. I'm okay. sometimes beside myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, friends. Bye. Bye.